Amen. Thank you guys for praying for me. Thank you guys for the opportunity to come. Come and speak. All right. So um, you have your, your lift notes, your cliff notes. I call them cliff notes. Put a K in front of it. But uh, KC deleted that, so... Cliff notes, right? Okay. All right. So today we're going to talk about um, the thing that I love the most to talk about is intimacy with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Everybody say intimacy, intimacy. Connectedness. connectedness. All right. So most people spend many years of their lives trying to figure out what their life purpose is, life calling. We conflate purpose with function. And we don't understand that the purpose is to be with him. And then out of that purpose, out of doing that purpose, we can function. It's to be with Jesus so that we can function for Jesus. But we get the cart before the horse. So let's go to um, Mark chapter 3. Thank you guys for letting me speak today for opening up your pulpit. Mark chapter 3, verse 13, 14, and 15. You guys want to read it together? Ready, set, go! So one day, as Casey told you, I was, uh, we met at uh, Fuller Seminary. That's where my wife and I met, too. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you, guys, you guys are the ones that um, you told me that um, I should know her by, by uh, 2006 because I was supposed to get married in 2007. You're like, you need to know her. Anyway, that's a long story. Anyway, never mind. It's a bunny trail. Never mind. Um, so I think this mic is going in and out a little bit or something. No? Okay. Sound good. All right. My mic sounds nice. Check one. All right. Um, so, um, so Mark was uh, translated by me from Greek into English while I was doing my homework one day in the library at Fuller Seminary. And so I'm in the library and I'm up on the fourth floor and this is a boring regular translation session. And then the Holy Spirit just kind of breaks in to my homework time. I mean, no, he can break into homework time. Yes, it's a miracle. <laughs> so he broke in, and, um, and he showed me that Mark put what he put here on purpose and in a specific order. I'm translating, and he's, look at, the, look at the order in which Mark writes what he writes. 
First he says, Jesus goes up on a high mountain. Jesus goes up on the mountain. And then he calls to himself those who he himself wanted. So there is a desire in the heart of God for the disciples. There is a desire in the heart of God for you. Your elevation uh, catchphrase is be disciples and make disciples. He wanted the disciples. It is part of the job as a disciple to respond to the call of Jesus, to hear the call of Jesus and respond. And so Jesus goes up on the mountain, he prays, connects with his father, and he says, I want these 12 guys. Even the one that I know is going to, he's going to betray me. I still want him. And he calls them to himself, who he himself wanted, deeply desired. And then they come to him. They respond to him. In other words, there is a willingness within their hearts to say, yes, I want to be in your presence. Yes, I'm going to push aside something. I'm going to push aside fishing. I'm going to push aside these things that I have to do with my father. I'm going to push aside these things that I have to do with my whoever and whatever to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to being with you. And so Mark says, Jesus called them to himself to first, one, be with him. Got to take my glasses off to read nowadays. Um, to be with him. He appointed the 12 so that they would be with him, that he could send them out to preach, that they would have authority to cast out demons. These are an order. And we oftentimes, we get the cart before the horse and we want to have the power to heal, have the power to cast out demons, have the power to prophesy, have the power to be a great lawyer, have the power to do whatever it is that we want to function in. And we forget that we are human beings, not human doings. And so Jesus calls us to intimacy. He calls us to be with him. Now, the, the being with him is a daily being with him. The being with him is similar to the manna. This is why this, we have these Old Testament, these Old Testament understandings Old Testament physical types to give us New Testament spiritual truth. Amen? So, Old Testament physical type, New Testament spiritual truth. Be with Jesus. The intimacy that he calls us to, the, the, the life of being with him is the fuel in the tank of your car, your spiritual car, your ministry, your whatever it is, it's the fuel in the gas tank that gets you from point A to point B. We can do nothing if we are not connected. If, it's, if we're, like a, we're like a blender or a microwave or whatever it is, or some sort of appliance, if that microwave, that blender is not connected to the outlet, there is no power. There is no lifeblood. We need to be connected on a daily basis with our Savior 
who has called us to himself and desires us. So it's Mark chapter 3. Um, let's go now to, um, I'm going to go quick because the, time, the hour is late, but if I go over by five minutes, who will give me five minutes? I got us five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35. Okay, so I got another half hour. All right. This side give me a half hour and this side, y'all gave me some too, so I'm going to take that too. All right. Mark, um, everything else is a byproduct if we be with him. Now, let's go to Song of Solomon. This is um, one of the, my favorite books, Song of Solomon. There was a season in my life where I read Song of Solomon every day. I didn't try to understand it. It's a weird book. It's got body parts in it, you know, There's stuff going on in here that uh, it's not necessarily PG. But um, I read it every day, just like eat, eating food every day. I just try to read it and digest it, read it and devour it, okay? So I read it every day, and then one of these days, right in the middle of the that season, it was like a three-month season, the Lord just like hit me in the head with some wisdom and understanding revelation. So I want to share that with you. Amen? So let's go to chapter 5, Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 8, and we're going to go down through verse 6, 1, 5, 8 through 6, 1. in the middle. Yeah, find it. There it is. All right. All right. So, the uh, Shulamite, she's the queen. She's the one who's married to, how many of you read this book before? All right. So, she's the queen. She's married to the king, Solomon. He represents Jesus. She represents those who are in love with Jesus, not necessarily the church. I'm going to say that again. She represents those who are in love with Jesus, not necessarily the church. Okay. Um, so she says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem. I adjure you. If you find my beloved, Jesus, the king, Solomon, as to what you will tell him, for I am lovesick. What kind of beloved? So they respond to her, and they say, What kind of beloved is your beloved? O most beautiful among women. What kind of beloved is your beloved? That you adjure us so. My beloved is dazzling. He's ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is like gold. It's pure gold. Like his locks are like clusters of dates, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk and reposed in their setting. And then skip down to 16. His mouth is full of sweetness, and he is wholly desirable. And his, he is my, this is my beloved, and this is my friend. This is uh, 
This is love evangelism. She is so in love with Jesus. She is so in love with her king that she runs out, is looking for him. She runs out to the daughters of Jerusalem, and she says, please help me find him. I need to be with him. I love him. I am sick. I'm ill. I'm fainting with love for him. I am passionately desiring to be with him. And so then they respond by saying, hey, um, you're the most beautiful. You're the most beautiful woman in the entire world. It's like, um, okay, so, so Dawn, when she was younger, she could probably still do this. She won Miss. Yeah. She, yeah, she, she won Miss Poway. We live in Poway. She won Miss Poway. So she got the whole sash and everything. She won Miss Poway. So imagine if she went on to win Miss San Diego and then Miss California and then Miss America and then Miss Universe and then she chooses KC. Right? Good choice. Good choice. And then her friends come to her and say, hey, like, you're so gorgeous. You have a million dollars. You're famous. You're wonderful. Everybody knows you. Why did you choose him? You could have anybody you wanted. Why did you choose? It's just, it's just, it's just, a, it's just calm down. <laughs> You've heard that before? Really? <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, we'll pray for you later. Um, so, so her friends say, hey, why are you stuck on this one? Why are you so enamored with this one guy? And she says, he's beautiful. He's wonderful. When we sang that earlier today, that's where that came from. Jesus, you're outstanding among 10,000. That's where this, that, that song that I wrote, that comes from here. Comes from this chapter. You're outstanding among 10,000. And so what does that mean for us today? It means we choose Jesus above Confucius. We choose Jesus above Buddha, above Muhammad, above the God of our job, above mammon, above our spouse, above our kids, above our friends, above our own self-will. We choose Jesus being with him and his will above all else. She's so in love with him that she is chasing him, and these daughters of Jerusalem say, hey, you don't need to be so excited about him. You have options. And she said, no, I have no other option. There is no one beside him. There is none like him. He's my only option. All my fountains are in you. There is no second place. I don't have another option. There is no, there's no B. It's A and that's it. That's, he, my, all my eggs are in Jesus' basket and that's it. And so they say, okay, all right, well, tell us about him. 
And so she goes on into this whole long soliloquy about how amazing he is. One of the things that I think is really interesting is that she says his eyes are like dove's eyes. She gets that term from him. Earlier in chapter, we're in chapter five now, earlier in chapter four, he says to her, your eyes are like doves. And what does it mean to be, to, to have dove's eyes? Anybody know? No? All right. Well, I'm glad you don't know, because I can tell you. Um, dove's eyes means that you don't have the ability to be distracted. Doves see directly in front of them, and that's it. They can't, they don't have peripheral vision. So they, I can't see, if I'm a dove, I can't see the cross, and I can't see this, this light thing over here, whatever it is. I, if I'm a dove, I am focusing on what's in front of me and only what's in front of me. That's all I can do. So Jesus tells her, you have dove's eyes. You're focused on me. And she takes that and gives it back to him in worship in front of her friends. He has dove's eyes. He's focused on me. He's not distracted. This is my beloved. He is focused on me. I, my heart can trust him. He's not a husband who has the, the, the jilting eyes or the, the, the twitching eyes or whatever it is. He's focused on me. I trust his heart. He trusts mine. And so this, this idea that she has dove's eyes originally comes from him. And then she goes on to say that his eyes are locked they're reposed in their setting. They're locked in their setting. And so what that, that word repose means, it's set on or locked in their setting. I used to work at a place called K Jewelers right before we got married. And uh, we, had to, we had to take women's uh, engagement rings, and sometimes they would come in and want them washed. And we'd have to take them and put them in this little electric little metal thing to wash the, the ring. But we would have to do something very important before we, put them in the, before we put them in there because if they were not locked in their setting, we would lose the diamond and then we would lose our lives. <laughs> you lose a woman's diamond and you, your head comes off, you know. So I, thank God I never lost anybody's diamond. You have to check the prongs. There's sometimes there's three prongs, sometimes there's four prongs. You have to check and see if the diamond is tight in those prongs. If it's not, can't wash it because you lose it in that diamond bath. What she's saying here is his eyes are locked like that diamond in the prongs. They're locked on me. The God of the universe who spoke this world into existence, who doesn't need me, has his eyes locked on me. He doesn't need me, but he desires me. He wants me. And our response to a God like that is, I want you. I see your desire for me. I see your desire for me. You can have anything. 
You can have everything. You do have everything. You spoke everything into existence, and you want me. And so our, the only right response is to love him the way he deserves to be loved. It's to have that same, it's to pray and have that same desire for him that he has for us. Lord, place in us your desire. Holy Spirit, give us. The prayer should be, Holy Spirit, give me the desire for Jesus. The same way that you love him, give me that love for him. That should be our prayer. And so she says, his eyes are reposed in their setting. They're locked on me. He's not distracted from me, so I love him. And then she goes down and she says, down is verse 16. And she says, this is, his mouth is full of sweetness and he is wholly desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend. She has to say all these things to them. She goes through all, a whole bunch of different things in 13, 14, and 15. And it's amazing because she's talking to them as if they don't know him, but they do. The daughters of Jerusalem do know him. If you read the book earlier in chapter 3, they're doing things for him. They're working for him. But there is a difference between a person who is doing something for Jesus and loving Jesus. This is that age-old Martha and Mary issue. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha in the kitchen making Chick-fil-A sandwiches. And nobody asked her to make Chick-fil-A sandwiches. Jesus said, you're distracted. You're coming in here with accusation. You're running in here with accusation. And you're distracted. She comes in and she accuses Jesus. She accuses her sister. And I felt like the Lord showed me one time that when your heart is full of distraction, you are prime, you're in prime position to be filled with accusation. When you are distracted from the presence, distracted from Jesus, from his word, you are in prime position to be filled with accusation by the enemy, the accuser. So she runs in and accuses her, and he says, no, she's actually more moral and more in the right than you are, and you should be like her. Five minutes ago, she welcomes Jesus in, but then she doesn't sit at his feet. She gets distracted. And so these daughters of Jerusalem, they worked for the king. They made his palaquin. It was just like this portable um, uh, lounge chair, a kingly lounge chair. So they were acting like, they were talking like, we don't know him. Because they didn't know him the way that the queen knows him. They didn't know him as intimate lover of their soul. They didn't know him the way that she does. And so they worked for him, they served him, but they didn't love him. Lovers will always outwork laborers in the kingdom. And people always say, you know, there's got to be some Marthas and there's got to be some Marys. Nope, there's got to be all Marys. Jesus wants all Marys. Because lovers will outwork laborers 
any and every day of the week because they're doing it not from duty but from desire. There's a difference between doing for desire and doing because of duty. The daughters of Jerusalem were doing because they were serving and they were working for the king. But if you're doing and serving and working for your lover, there's a difference. There's a passion. There is a fuel and a fire in, on the inside that won't cause you to burn out. A lot of people suffer from burnout because they're not burning within. You have to burn within. There's got to be a fire in your heart so that you won't burn out. All right. So that, that dichotomy embodies the truth um, that you can, you can perform. You can perform and not be a priest. But God has called us to be priests. God has called us to love his presence. And that's what a priest does, to worship him in spirit and in truth and to desire to be with him. All right, let's go to Ezekiel. Is this good? Is this helping anybody? All right. Let's go to Ezekiel. How much time I got? I got enough time? All right, I'm good. Five minutes from you and you and you. All right. Um, Ezekiel chapter 44, 10 through 16. Ezekiel 44, 10 through 16. All right, there it is. And they shall not come near me to serve as a priest. Um, here, God is talking about the priests that were unfaithful. Unfaithful priests. They shall not come near me to serve as priests, nor near to any of my holy things, to the, thing that, to the things that are most holy, but they will bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. Yet, I will appoint them to keep charge of the house, of all its service, and of all that should be done in it. But the Levitical priests, the ones who were faithful, the sons of Zadok, who kept my charge of my sanctuary when the sons of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me, to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, declares the Lord. They shall enter my sanctuary. They shall come near to my table to minister to me, to keep my charge. So the Lord is, he's separating faithful and unfaithful. He's juxtaposing these people who are all priests and say, um, this one can still be in ministry, though they were unfaithful. Their punishment is that they can't be with me. He is elevating one type of ministry over another. A lot of us in ministry sometimes get so consumed with doing the things of ministry for people. And God says the primary focus is to minister to me. We are all ministers. The primary focus, the reward for faithfulness is being and ministering to me, being with me, ministering to me. And so the unfaithful priests get to slaughter 
They get to serve the sacrifice for the people. They get to stand before them and minister to them. The faithful priests come near to me. They minister to me. It's the reward that they get. They, they, the second thing they get is they get to stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood to enter my sanctuary. They shall come near to me, my table, sorry, my table, and minister to me and keep my charge. Faithfulness and unfaithfulness. The reward is his presence. Are you seeing this? Are you getting this? The reward is being able to get into the very presence of the God who created you. This is our reward. This is our call. This is our purpose. This is our destiny. When we're in heaven, in his presence throughout eternity. All right, let's skip down to Revelation 2, 4. Jesus says to John, hey, tell the Ephesians, tell the church in Ephesus, uh, all this stuff, doing all these good things, great, awesome, great, awesome, one thing I have against you. You have left your first love. So the things that you used to do that represented your love for me, do them again. Remember the height from which you have fallen and do them again. There is, there are seven Hebrew words in the Old Testament that represent praise, that are translated as praise. They're physical actions. Lifting your hands is one, spinning around is one, shouting out loud, shabakim, that's one. There's seven different ones. There's a physical responsibility to loving Jesus. He said, remember the things that you did. Remember the height from which you have fallen and do it again. Return. Make the decision. Make the decision to return to your first love. Carve out the time in your schedule to return to your first love. It might be difficult. You might have to say no to Instagram. You might have to say no to that coffee date. You might have to say no to that job even to say yes to being in the presence of God, to say yes to respond like the disciples did. They came to him. He wanted them, and they came to him. The disciples did. You are disciples. They came to him in response to his desire. And in Psalm 45 the king desires our beauty. Oh, I got ahead of myself. Um, John, who writes, who writes Revelation 2, 4? John, who writes this, he does something really interesting. Him and Peter have this interaction, and Jesus um, the, on the last, at the Last Supper. So John, who writes this, you know, he hears Jesus saying, tell them, return to their first love. This is, the, this is the apostle of love. This is the prophetic apostle who gets the revelation about who Jesus is in the last days. He gets the revelation of Jesus. 
And I think that he gets this. He has some of the insight that he has because of the way that he walked with God. He called himself the disciple that Jesus loved, right? He elevates himself as the one that he loved. And so at the Last Supper, something interesting happens. Jesus tells them, hey, I'm going to get betrayed. I'm going to be betrayed. And they wonder, they look around and like, who, who's going to betray you? Is it me? Lord, who's going to do it? So Peter, um, a pastor that I know, he says, Peter is, he, he, he has always has his foot in his mouth. And the only reason he takes his foot out of his mouth is to put the other foot in, to change feet. <laughs> Peter is, he's, he's like that. He's, he's bold, he's brash, he's always up there doing something, uh, cutting people's ears off, you know, telling Jesus he's not going to die. Jesus got to tell him, now get behind me, Satan, you shut it down. Peter's always out there. And in this instance, he's not. He says, hey, John, hey, go. Ask him, ask him who's going to betray him. So why all of a sudden is his character changing? Why all of a sudden is he the one that's a little timid and wants somebody else to do something? I believe that it's because of this principle that I, I feel like it's true. Intimacy breaks down the wall or, breaks, or opens the veil of divine secrecy. If you are intimate with Jesus, he will tell you the secrets of his heart. And Peter knew this guy is the one that Jesus loves. He's leaning on his breasts in the middle of talking about this thing. And he says, hey, ask him. Ask him who's going to betray him. Get the secret out of him. It's the glory of a king to discover, to search out a matter. It's King David who said in Psalm 23, no, Psalm 24, he said, this one thing I desire, that I would be in his temple all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire. I want to be in his presence to worship him, to see his beauty, and to inquire. Through being intimate with Jesus, we get revelation. Divine secrecy is broken down because of intimacy. We stay connected. We're friends. He wants to share his heart. He wants to tell us things because we are his friend. And so John gets the revelation and not Peter because he's intimate. John gets the book of Revelation and nobody else because he's intimate. Amen. Psalm 45, so the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Worship him. This desire for him comes from him. This desire for him comes initially from him. And the only reason we have the ability to be in his presence is because he wants us there. He said, Father, I desire that they would be with me where I am. Right? Father, I desire that they... This is the reason he went to the cross. 
This is the reason he endured the shame of the cross, that we would be with him where he is. It's for the, the glory of having a bride with him throughout eternity is why he went to the cross. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and sweat big drops of sweat like the drops of blood because he was praying about what he was about to do to get us to be with him, to allow us to have the access into the Holy of Holies, into his presence. Now, he's done all of this, and we wake up late and not want to be with him. We go to bed without being with him. We spend our days without being with him. Though we hear him calling and beckoning us into his presence, we decide not to be with him. And today I want to tell you, change your mind. Change your schedule. We are in a season in these last days where we can't go through our regular Sunday morning church service being with him then and only then. We need a daily dose. Heidi Baker spends four hours a day, every day, with him. And that empowers her to do what she does. We need a, do a daily dose of Jesus. And we are living in, in these last days where it's going to come to a point where we can't be without him. Or we will potentially suffer loss and fall away. We need to be solidly in and rooted and grounded in his love, in his presence, that we can withstand the hurricanes and the torrents that are coming, the rainstorms that are coming. We need to be with him. And he wants us to do it. There was a time when um, my wife and I, we were praying every day because the Lord called us to 6 a.m. prayer. This is back when we were living in L.A. We were uh, a part of this organization called PIHOP, Pasadena International House of Prayer. And the Lord told me, he said, hey, you and Lauren, 6 a.m., worship and prayer. I was fasting. And he said, you and Lauren, 6 a.m., worship and prayer. I was fasting because we were um, deciding whether or not to get married. And um, my fasting to him was asking him. That was, my, that was my way of asking him for her hand. And in the midst of that, he says to me, you and Lauren, 6 a.m., worship and pray. So we started it. And then we go through it. And we're experiencing God's presence, and it's amazing. And then probably like five months into it, uh, it just wears on you because you got to get up at like five o'clock or whatever it is. You take a shower so you don't smell bad and, um, and then go to the house of prayer. And so one night I said to Lauren, I said, hey, I'm tired. I don't want to go tomorrow. And I had fully decided not to, not to go and, and intercede and pray and be with God. So I get up, and I walk to another room, and I look down on the floor, and there's three hairs down on the floor. As one was a circle, one was another circle, and one was a half circle. So when I looked at it, 
from the angle that I looked at it, it was a frown face. And as soon as I saw it, I knew the Lord was speaking to me. And I heard his voice, and it was weird because it came, it was like it came through my stomach on the side, through here, and then it kind of reverberated throughout the entire entirety of my body. And he said, I'm going to miss you. And it was interesting because when he said, you and Lauren, 6 a.m. worship and prayer, it sounded like marching orders. It's like, yes, sir. It's like General Jesus. Like, yes, sir. Marching orders. 6 a.m. We're going to do it. We did it. But this voice sounded like my friend. It sounded like the lover of my soul. And it's interesting, the Song of Solomon, the, the, the bride says, his mouth is full of sweetness and he's wholly desirable. He could have said in that moment, Khalid, you have the key. You said you were going to do it. People are going to be waiting at the door. If you don't open it, they're going to leave. They're not going And all of those things would have been right. Be a man of responsibility. Do what you said you're going to do. All these things would have been, he could have said all, all those things and it would have been correct. But instead of doing that, he says, I'm going to miss you. And so I, I left. I was like, I'm not going to miss tomorrow. The Lord said he's going to miss me tomorrow. I'm not going to miss tomorrow. He had gotten accustomed to seeing my face and hearing my voice at 6 a.m. Song of Solomon says, let me, see, let me see your face, let me hear your voice. Why? Because your face is lovely and your voice is beautiful. That's what he says to all of us. Your face is lovely. Your face is beautiful. And I want to see you at 6 a.m. I want to be with you. The God of all eternity who created this world by speaking, who has all power in his hand, wants to be with me. Little old me. Little old you. He wants, he desires to be with you. And so our response is to be with him, to love him. And then guess what the daughters of Jerusalem do? Chapter 6, verse 1. They say, where's your beloved? We're going to search for him with you. Is it up there? Chapter 6, verse 1, Song of Solomon. Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? She wins them to the cause of intimacy. Before they weren't, they, they were trying to talk her out of being with him. And she tells them how amazing he is. Because she knows, because she has experience with him, because she's married to him. She tells them in those, 15, those three, four, five verses how amazing he is. He's outstanding among 10,000. His eyes are locked on me. He's called me lovely. He, his mouth is full of sweetness. He is wholly desirable. This is my beloved. This is my friend. She goes through all of these things, and they now feel the same passion 
within them. This is what missionaries call transference of passion. I experienced this once when I was in a missions conference, and this missionary was standing up and he's talking, and, and my heart was burning. Jesus did this to the disciples when they were walking down the Emmaus Road. He was talking about himself, and their hearts started burning. Now their hearts are burning because she is loving the Savior in a way that they don't understand, in a way that they don't know, but now they want to know. This is love evangelism. This is one of the, my favorite forms of evangelism. She has now won the daughters of Jerusalem to the cause of intimacy because she's intimate. How many want to do that? Amen. Well, let's stand. Let me pray for you. I'm done. I'm done. Let me pray for you. And uh, do you want to? Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, Lord, we ask you that you would fill us, Holy Spirit, with the desire for the Son of God, this man Jesus, who spoke this world into existence. He wants to be with us. And God, we ask you, enable us to have the same passion for him, that we would set aside things in our schedules, that we would respond as the disciples responded, we would respond as disciples, that we would say yes to his desire. He wants us, and we want him, and we say yes, and we will come to you, Jesus. We will wake up. We will stay up. We will set aside things, Lord, that we can be with you where you are. We ask you, manifest your presence upon us, within us. Speak sweetly to us, God. We thank you that your eyes are locked on us, that your mouth is full of sweetness, that you are wholly desirable. Fill us with a passion for Jesus, Holy Spirit. Jesus, give us a passion for your Father, that we would worship him in spirit and in truth, that he would become our desire, that we would make him our desire that we would choose for him to be our desire, our greatest desire. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Amen. Dance like David